Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman shares a message titled, Keep On Keeping On. Now, an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom there are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you for all fi- for you by fine-sounding arguments, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Elliot. Appreciate that. So in this passage that Elliot has read to us, we continue on in our study through Paul's letter to the Colossians. And in Paul's letter to the Colossians, he tells us how to get to the next level in our understanding of Christ, next level in our understanding of how to follow Christ. And in these seven verses of Colossians chapter 2, we see the goal of the Christian life and one major threat to the Christian life, and we see the way forward. So in verses 2 and 3, he talks about the goal of the Christian life. And then in verses 4 and 5, he talks about one major threat to achieving that goal. And then in verses 6 and 7, he tells us, all right, if this is the goal and this is what might keep you from the goal, this is the way forward. So if you have your sermon notes and your Bible open, let's look first of all at the goal. The, The Apostle Paul tells us what the goal is, and that is to treasure Christ. If I were to ask you, what is the goal of the Christian life? Some of you might say, well, to be a better person or to know Jesus more and more. And of course, there's value in those answers, but this is the best answer. The Apostle Paul would have said, what is the goal of the Christian life? The goal is to treasure Christ. In verses two and three, Paul says, I want you to know the mystery of Christ, namely, or mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He says, there's some things that I do. I encourage people and I build Christian unity and I help people grow stronger in their understanding of the faith. Those are the things I do, but it all points toward this goal that people might treasure Christ. Now, if that's our goal, is he your treasure? Some of us would say, well, I I come to church and I lift up songs of praise and I study the Bible from time to time. So of course, he must be my treasure. And yet in the real world of practical experience, there are other things we treasure more than Christ. We treasure our reputation or we treasure um, our good health or our attractiveness or being popular with people or being successful at work. That's what we really treasure even as we come in here and we lift up Christ. We need to recognize then that whatever we value most, whatever we feel is of supreme importance to us, whatever we think is going to give us a sense of success and worth and meaning and joy, that ultimately is our treasure. 
Christ ought to be, uh, and our relationship with Christ ought to be that which gives us success and meaning and worth and joy. But a lot of us, we find it in lesser things, good things, but nevertheless, lesser things. Now, how can we identify where our treasure is? What our imagination uh, always dwells on? Where our money goes? What makes us angry with God when we're angry with God? What generates our strongest emotions? If you look at these types of things, you'll find what you really treasure. And, and so if you, if you think about um, <laughs> what we meditate over, what we think over, wh where does your imagination go when you have some free time on your hands? What are your, always, what are your thoughts always dwelling over? That might tell you what you're really treasuring. Another thing that might let you know what you're really treasuring is where your physical treasure goes, right? I mean, we have this limited quantity of physical treasure, and where we spend it lets us know what our real priorities are. Or what tends to make you angry with God, if you've ever gotten angry with God? That'll let you know what you're really treasuring. You see, for a surprising number of people, we, we find out somewhere along the way that God is not our end, he is the means, the means to our end. We, we see God as the one who's capable of giving us what we really treasure. God is capable of giving us a marriage partner. God is capable of giving us a secure job. God is capable of giving us health. And that's what we ultimately think will make us happy and secure and, and successful. And so God becomes the means to the end. And we can, we, a lot of us, we don't even realize we're doing this, but somewhere along the way we realize uh, we, we, come, we come to the realization that uh, we're in this sort of transaction with God. And, and so we try to be good and we go to church and we tithe. And on God's side of the bargain then, he needs to make our life reasonably healthy and successful and happy and so on. And that's why some of us get so angry sometimes with God or we abandon God because we've prayed for God to give us something that we think will ultimately make us happy and that doesn't come our way and we become resentful to God. That lets us know that Christ hasn't been our treasure ever, that Christ was just a means to an end and we have something that we really thought we treasured more than anything else. What about where your emotions are? What brings out the strongest emotions in you? Uh, those who fish, they know that where the water, the surface of the water is roiling, there's something under the surface there, probably fish, that's probably where you ought to throw your line. In the same way, where our strongest emotions are bubbling and roiling underneath the surface, might let us know what we really treasure. So if there's something that makes us uh, get just emotionally angry, almost in this, in, in this sort of hair trigger way, that lets us know that we've been depending on something to bring us joy and security. And when that was denied us, immediately we burst out in anger. Or what do you tend to do? Do you tend to use all your time in overworking? Overworking can cause us to realize what our real treasure is, and that is to be successful at our earthly job. Now, don't get me wrong. Of course, it's right to want uh, to be financially successful. But if our real treasure is Christ and we lose a possession, we might grieve over it, but it doesn't devastate us because Jesus is our joy. He's our treasure. Or it's, it's certainly right to want to be popular and have people like you. But if Christ is your treasure, you're going to be able to withstand those times when peer pressure is pressuring you to do something you know you should not do. Because your ultimate treasure isn't popularity or acceptance by the crowd. Your ultimate treasure is Christ. 
and so you can withstand the temptations to compromise and so on. The Apostle Paul tells us here in the book of Colossians, we need to treasure Christ. That is our ultimate goal as Christians. Now, if that's the case, we need to recognize that there are certain threats to pursuing this as our greatest treasure. And so the greatest threat in the Colossian congregation was this, to co-opt Christ, to co-opt Christ. In verses 4 and 5, Paul said, I don't want anyone to deceive you so that you no longer treasure Christ. Stay disciplined. Hold fast in him. Now, as the, apostles, as, the, as the apostle Paul and the other apostles were going out into the first century world to present Christianity to people and help people get grounded in the faith, there were certain threats that they faced. I don't mean the threat of persecution in this instance. I mean the threat to Christianity taking hold in somebody's life. There were three threats that the earliest Christians faced if their goal was treasuring Christ. Now, these three threats were faced interchangeably in all communities, but there was a certain threat that would rise to the surface in different communities. Now, this will really help you in understanding the New Testament. When you're, when you're reading the New Testament, one of the things you ought to ask is, what, is this, what does this writer see as the greatest threat to the people he is writing at this time? And it changes from community to community. So for example, if you're reading the letter to the Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, clearly the greatest threat was to abandon Christ. And, and so these were people who had come out of a certain religion and their family and their friends were saying, you need to come back and do it the old ways. You need to do it the way that we were accustomed to. And Paul said, Jesus is better than anything that you left behind, stick with Jesus. That's what you read in the letter to the Hebrews. How about in the letter to 1 Corinthians? When you're reading the letter to the, to, to, uh, the Corinthians, the first letter, you see that the greatest threat that they were facing was not so much abandoning Jesus, but compromising Jesus, compromising Jesus. And so there were people who were saying, look, you don't need to abandon Jesus. You can come and celebrate Jesus as Lord, but let's be realistic. We live in the real world and you left idol worship behind, you left temple worship behind, but your neighbors are still worshiping in those pagan temples. Your boss is still work, uh, uh, worshiping there and he wonders why you don't show up with him for all of that. So it's okay. You can worship Jesus as Lord and you can go to those pagan temples at the same time. You see, there were certain false teachers in that setting that were not saying quit Christ, abandon Christ. They were just saying compromise with Christ. He's not ultimately Lord. And then in some communities, there was a third temptation, the temptation to co-opt Christ. And that's what was happening in the Colossian congregation. The Colossian congregation was uh, made up of a lot of people who had come out of the pagan world. And at that time, there was a, uh, a, a movement, a religious movement called the mystery cults or the mystery religions. And uh, we won't go into a lot of detail about what that is, in part because in the 21st century world, even among historians, it's a little bit of a mystery what the mystery religions taught. 
But one of the things that they taught, it seems, is that, that there is the supreme being, God, but he's very remote. We can't know much about him. But there are these imperfect emanations of God, and it's these descending emanations of God that have created the world we have, and that's why we have a world that's so corrupt and, and filled with cancer and filled with disappointment and that kind of thing, because it wasn't the supreme creator that created that. It was these, these decreasing emanations from, from God that created that. Like I said, it's a bit of a mystery what they taught. But one of the things that they said was, we can give you the right incantations. We can give you the right secret names of God. And if you use these, you'll get ahead in life. And so you've got to join, you've got to go through the initi initiation rites and join our secret club, and then we'll reveal all of this to you. These were the secret mystery religions and mystery cults of the time. Now here's what's interesting. When the message of Jesus came to Colossae, some of these advocates of mystery religions, they just co-opted the name of Jesus and incorporated Jesus into one of these lower emanations of God. And, and so they didn't change their worldview. They didn't change their understanding of God, their understanding of religion. They just twisted and molded and shaped Christianity to sort of fit into that. And, and, and so this is what was happening among the uh, Colossian Christians was there was this temptation to understand Jesus in this warped or twisted way. So the temptation to abandon Jesus, the temptation to compromise Jesus, and the temptation to co-opt Jesus. This one or three of these things were always what the uh, apostles were facing in different towns they went to, and that's why they wrote the letters that they did. That'll help you understand the New Testament a lot better. But let me ask you, are those three threats, are those three temptations still with us today? Absolutely. And so there are Christians who have abandoned Jesus. They have found, and deeper and deeper we go in Western culture in the 21st century, it's getting harder and harder to live with your Christian convictions. Now, if you're my age or older, you may not feel that as much, but if you're in your 20s or your 30s, maybe even in your 40s, you know that there is this narrowing opportunity you have to uh, get hired or make it up the corporate ladder if they find out that you're one of those crazy Christians. You find that there's this narrowing opportunity for uh, romantic relationships. You, you aren't considered as good dating material, a good marriage material, if you're looked upon as one of those crazy Christians. And so in increasing numbers, there are people who have abandoned Christ. So we still need to pay attention to that threat today. And then in our world today, there is this temptation to compromise Christ. Just like in the Corinthian culture, there are people today who say, look, you can still worship Jesus, but just understand we live in the real world today. And there are just certain understandings of gender and certain understandings of sexuality and understandings of power that you just need to go along and get along with if you're going to get along in this world. And so you don't have to quit going to church. You don't have to quit singing those songs but you just need to understand that there's some compromises you need to make as well. That's a temptation. And then there's the temptation to co-opt Christ. Not so much, uh, there's not so much mystery religions running around the world today, but there are all kinds of people who are very happy to take the language of Christianity and the language of Christ and twist that and shape that to conform to their prejudices and their worldview and their convictions that they already had, regardless of reading a Bible. But when you know they read the Bible, then they just make it fit and make it conform to the particular worldview and the particular prejudices that they have. 
This is, this is a temptation on the cultural left, and it's a temptation on the cultural right. And we need to pay attention to that whatever we, wherever we find ourselves on that cultural spectrum. Because there is this constant temptation to not abandon Christ or make compromises with Christ, but just sort of co-opt him for our own understanding, our own worldview. Now listen, when you do that, Jesus is no longer your treasure. When you do that, Jesus is no longer your Lord. He just becomes your cheerleader. You already have this view that you understand of the way things ought to be, the, the way the culture ought to run, the way that things ought to be done, and Jesus just becomes your cheerleader to cheer on the things that you've already concluded independent of Jesus. We need to take our cultural understanding of things, we need to take our, our uh, worldview, and we need to conform it to Christ instead of making Christ conform to us. Uh, in, in, in his new book, Christopher Watkins said this, Christ should not fit comfortably in any culture. And if he nestles snugly into our own, then we have almost certainly lost sight of the biblical Christ. Are you reshaping Jesus so that he conforms to your prejudices and your worldviews and your way of looking at things? Or are you taking your prejudices and your worldview and your way of looking at things and bringing them under the lordship of Christ and saying, Lord, shape it any way you want to so that because you are my treasure. So in these verses, Paul lays out the goal of the Christian life and the threat to that goal and then the way forward. So in verses 2 and 3, he lays out the goal to treasure Christ. In verses 4 and 5, Paul identifies the threat to that goal. For the Colossian church, it was the temptation to co-opt Christ. And now the way forward in verses 6 and 7, continue with Christ. Paul said, just as you receive Christ, continue to live your lives in him. That's how you reach the goal. That's how you resist the threat. Continue to live your lives in him. And then he uses three participles, three phrases that help flesh out what it means to continue with Christ the way you started with Christ. He uses the phrase rooted and built up. Then he uses the phrase strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And then he uses the phrase overflowing with thankfulness. These three phrases describe the life of someone who continues with Christ the way they started with Christ. And, and so let's take these participles, let's take these, these dependent phrases and turn them into commitments that we can make today so that we can continue in our understanding of Jesus and following Jesus. First of all, I will continue to develop my character. You can write that down in your notes. I will continue to develop my character. That's what Paul means when he uses the phrase rooted and built up in him. Now, rooted obviously comes from an agricultural background, right? A plant that is well-rooted is going to get nutrients for the rest of the plant. It's, it's going to be able to withstand windstorms and that kind of thing. That's what it means to be rooted. But the word built up doesn't come from an agricultural uh, uh, world. It comes from an architectural world, right? But over time in the Greek-speaking world, rooted and built up became a, a single phrase, and you can see how that happened, right? Because what are the roots of a physical building? The foundation, right? And, and so here in this phrase, what Paul is trying to help us understand is, just as we got started with Christ, just as we laid a foundation in making a commitment to Christ, now we build on top of it. Uh, you ask uh, anybody who's involved in the construction business, you don't lay a foundation and say, well, my work is done here, and they walk away and all there is is a foundation. You lay a foundation so that you can build on top of it. 
you and I, when we came to Christ, when we made our commitment to Christ, that, that was the foundation that Christ laid for us. Now for the rest of our lives, we are building something of worth, building something of value on top of that. Now, how do you build a, how do you build a building? Brick by brick by brick. How do you build a character? How do you build a life? Action by action by action. It's not an overnight thing. It's something that develops over time. Every time you make a sound and good decision, that's another brick in this building of Christian maturity. Every time you successfully resist temptation, that's another brick in the building of Christian maturity. Uh, every time uh, you uh, react appropriately to frustration, that's another brick in the building of Christian maturity. Brick by brick by brick, action by action, you build your character. You will more and more treasure Christ as you develop your character. That's what it means to continue in Christ. There's a second thing to write down. I will continue to develop my convictions. I will continue to develop my convictions. So I said that Paul used three participles or dependent phrases in our passage. The first is rooted and built up. The second is strengthened in the faith as you were taught. So if rooted and built up has to do with our uh, character, this next one has to do with our convictions. Now, in your Bible or in your sermon notes, I want you to underline the phrase, the faith, the faith, strengthened in the faith. He did not say strengthened in faith. He said strengthened in the faith. As you're reading the Bible, sometimes you see the word faith and sometimes you see the phrase the faith. And we need to understand that faith is a reference to our commitment. The faith is a reference to our convictions. Faith is a reference to believe the faith is a reference to what we believe. So what is Paul talking about here when he says strengthen in the faith as you were first taught? He's saying you need to be strengthened in your understanding of what Christianity is all about. You don't need to just make this initial Christ, uh, commitment to Christ and then not grow and develop in your understanding of who God is and what God expects of this world. You need to continue to grow and develop in that. And how do you do that? Well, one, day, one way you do that is just simply continue to do what you're doing right now. Just showing up at church and opening up your Bible together with other people, you are getting strengthened in the faith. You're learning more about the faith, about who God is and what he expects of this world. And as you read books from uh, uh, respected uh, Christian teachers, you're getting strengthened in the faith as you're gaining a perspective from somebody who's thought long and, and hard about these things. And as you show up on, on when we do our Sunday night studies in the fall and in the spring, and we just, in these Sunday night studies, we focus on one particular aspect of the Christian faith and we, we go deep in that particular subject. As, as you're involved in that, you get strengthened in the faith. Now I said earlier that the New Testament writers spoke of three threats to uh, the goal of, of treasuring Christ. And the threat was to abandon Christ or to compromise Christ or to co-opt Christ. What's the greatest thing you can do to protect yourself against this. Just know the Bible better. Understand the faith better. And you will see that you're better able to withstand these particular types of temptations. So Paul says, continue, continue, continue. Continue to develop your character. Continue to develop your convictions. And then number three, I will continue to develop my worship. 
So I say that Paul, after he told us to continue in, with Jesus and the way we started with Jesus, he uses three phrases. He says, rooted and built up and strengthened in the faith. And now here's the third. He says, overflowing with thankfulness. We continue in Jesus as we overflow in thankfulness. Now, Paul used the word thankfulness, and I told you on your notes that you should write down the word worship. We need to continue in worship. But you understand why I did that, right? Because isn't that what worship is? It's expressing gratitude and thanks to God. Now, here's the reality. The further along we get in the Christian life, we can start seeing these astonishing blessings from God as entitlements. Of course God is gonna give me these things. I've been such a good person in his kingdom. So we no longer see them blessings, we see them as entitlements. The longer we go in the Christian life, sometimes we can lose the wonder of the cross. We can forget what's so amazing about grace. And when we lose our thankfulness, we lose our felt need for worship. So how can we battle against that? How can we remedy that? Well again, by continuing to do what you're doing right now. Showing up in this place and verbally worshiping by singing the songs can sometimes bring along an attitude of thankfulness with it. There's some people who feel like, well, should I go to worship today? I don't know if I feel like it. And they make that decision on Sunday morning. Now that's the first mistake to make the decision on Sunday morning. Sunday morning worship is a Saturday night decision, folks. You don't wake up on Sunday morning, the alarm clock goes off and you go, well, should I show up at worship today? I don't know, it'd be hypocritical of me to show up at worship because I don't feel very worshipful. And so we don't do it. You know, there's a saying in recovery circles that it is easier to act yourself into a new way of thinking than to think yourself into a new way of acting. And what that means is that sometimes you just do what you know you should do. You just do what you know is good for you. And the feelings may follow along. But if you wait until you're in the right mindset and you wait till you have the right attitude, you'll find that there's a whole lot that you're not doing and nothing really develops. It's true with worship too. If you only attend church when the feelings are there, you're going to find yourself worshiping less and less. But if you are acting yourself into a new way of thinking, if you're, if you're showing up regularly, if you're gathering with God's people on a regular basis, you're going to find that the gratitude starts welling up within you as well for all that God has done for you. So the goal and the threats and the way forward. The goal of the Christian life, treasure Christ. He is what makes you happy. He is what gives you your sense of identity and your sense of self-worth and security. Not, not any of these lesser things, even good things, they're still lesser, less than Christ. So we need to treasure Christ. But if we're going to treasure Christ, we need to understand the threats to treasuring Christ. And the greatest threat to the Colossian Christians was to co-opt Christ, to just let their understanding of religion, to let their understanding of the world, their prior convictions, their prior prejudices, to let all of that not change and just let Christ adjust himself to what they already believed about things. That can happen to us too. Let's make sure it doesn't. And then Paul said, here's the way forward. Continue in Christ. You started with him, so now continue with him by continuing to develop your character continuing to develop your convictions, your understanding of Christianity, and continuing to develop your worship. Now, because these seven verses are aimed at Christians, the bulk of what I've been saying today 
has been aimed at Christians. But some of you, it's not a matter of continuing with Christ because you haven't started with him. Let me just say a quick word to you. There's a point somewhere along in your life where you need to quit thinking about Jesus, evaluating Jesus, asking questions about Jesus, and you need to cross the line into faith. It may be that you don't get all your questions answered before you make that decision, but you get enough questions answered that you know that any further questioning, any further exploration is just a procrastination technique. And you'll know when that time is for you. And maybe that time is today that you realize that I've been thinking about Jesus, but I need to act. I need to cross the line. I need to become a believer. I need to start with Jesus. So for those of us who need to continue in the faith that we started, those of us who need to start that faith today. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman shares a message titled, A Life of Fulfillment. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.